you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, uh, you can turn to 1 Peter 5. We're going to get through a whole chapter today. It's not terribly long, um, but it's the final chapter in this letter uh, from Peter to these persecuted Christians, uh, and, and we're going to close it out today. And, and last week, one of the things that he shared at the end of 1 Peter 4 was he talked about suffering, and it's not our favorite topic. It's not something we desire to experience or something we even like to talk about. But Peter makes it clear in 1 Peter 4, 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you as though something uh, strange were happening to you. Uh, we made the statement, we even made a statement really all the way back at the first week uh, about suffering, that suffering's inevitable. Uh, we, can't, we can't get away from it. Uh, you can't push a button and it not be a part of your life. Uh, it, it will be a part of our lives in, in various forms and in various ways that we will hit troubling times, hardship, uh, maybe even persecution as, as these Christians did. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. We're supposed to rejoice in that so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. There's something greater to come, Peter says. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory uh, and of God rest on you. Remember we made these two statements last week. If you're walking through life, being obedient to God's word, following his truth, hardship comes your way because of following Jesus, he's got your back. He's going to take care of you. You have a God that he, that he can be trusted that, to take care of you. However, he, he kept going on in this particular section, and he said if you run in, not all suffering is blessed, if you run into hardship and suffering and trial because of your poor choices, uh, because of living contrary to God's word, well, then consequences come with that, right? And we have to face those at times, and we have to walk through those and, and learn from them. How many of you in here have made a bad choice and had to face the, you know, face the music that came with it? All of us have. Uh, and Peter says, not all, bless, not all suffering is blessed. And then he closes with this before we jump into chapter 5. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So when life keeps coming at you, hardship, trial, you're walking down a few more weeks, more trial, more hardship. What do we do in that moment? Well, we can complain or we can blame or we can do whatever we want. But what he tells us to do is commit ourselves back to God and continue to do good. It's one of the hardest times to ever want to do good, right? When you're in the midst of hardship or trial or something has come your way, uh, you're not really thinking about committing yourself to God and continuing to do good. You're thinking about how do I get out of this? And I don't want to do good to anybody, right? Because I want this to be over. And Peter gives us a great challenge. So chapter 5, we're going to jump into that. And uh, Peter talks to, to three groups of people uh, in this particular chapter. That's not the point of this chapter, but there's some good stuff in it. He talks to the elders uh, of the church, leaders of the church. He talks to young men, young people. And then he talks to the church as a whole. And he, he reminds them, hey, as you are going through this season of just terrible persecution, stand firm uh, in your faith with patience, uh, with courage, with endurance, with steadfastness. And here's what he says. He's going to talk about a theme that, that's somewhat been a part of 1 Peter uh, all throughout. And he's going to share some warnings that come uh, with, with this idea of suffering and hardship. How many of you... Uh, when you purchase something at the store, uh, you flip it over or you get the little sheet of paper in the, in the inside of it and you begin to read the warnings that go with it. Anybody in here? 
like 1% of people do that, right? Maybe your medicine, you might read it so you'd live, uh, but most of you don't, you know, read the warning labels that go, uh, that are a part of a manufacturer. Uh, but manufacturers do that because they don't want you to get hurt, right? Uh, they do that so that when you show up at, at court someday, they can say, I told you so. Did you read that little sheet of paper that was in point one font that you couldn't read uh, because I told you not to do that? Or uh, they, they will begin to let you know uh, that, uh, uh, that because there's a pretty good chance that someone already tried it, right? Uh, and that's why the new warning is in there because somebody already went down the list and tried it. So I got online this week and began to search uh, for some crazy warning labels that will be up on the screen. And they're on there because someone has probably, someone has probably tried it. You can pop it up there. Uh, this thing is a washer and dryer. Uh, do not put any person in this washer because um, they won't live. You can go to the next one if you want. Uh, men, do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. But if you're to grab that, you won't have a hand is what they're saying on this warning. No diving. Shallow water. Uh, can permanently be dan- I'd like to meet the guy that made this warning come about, that he dove. Warning, do not use for drying pets, uh, your microwave. And then the fifth one was this. Uh, it, it's, it's day or night use only. So just only use it during the day or only use it during the night, which is all, all the time. Warning labels are a big deal. And the manufacturer knows the how-to and the how-not-to with their product, don't they? Because they, they don't want you to get hurt. And when it comes time to you and I and the church and this world, there's a creator. There's one that made us. There's one that made this world. He knows how we work, how we operate, how we think, uh, our tendencies of how easy it is for us to kind of get stuck on ourselves and not the things of the kingdom of God. So what does he do? He gives us truth. Uh, he gives us uh, maybe some, some rules, if you want to call that, some guardrails, so that we can live in maximum freedom in this life, because without this, we will find ourselves in a heap of trouble and running through some of the craziest of times in our life. So let's just turn to it and read chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. It'll be up on the screen if you, didn't, if you don't have your Bible with you. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So here's what he tells elders to do. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Elders, be shepherds, uh, be servants, uh, don't... Don't do it out of, a, out of a wrong heart or a wrong motive, but do so because God has called you to it and ultimately be an example. That's a big call. Like, be Jesus, to people you're watching over. And then he says this, And when Christ's chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. He says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And then he says for the whole church, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Because of this, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. There's a lot of instruction here. There's some warnings. There's some things that we need to, to maybe apply to our lives, Peter's talking about. But there's a common theme that, 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 is, that is all throughout this particular section. And it's one that we're going to talk about in verse, in verse 5. He says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Here's the thing about humility, and uh, you've maybe found this to be true in your own life. You can either learn it, you can begin to grow in it, or God can teach it to you, usually the hard way. Anybody ever taught, been taught uh, humility uh, from God and by God the hard way? It's not fun. It's nothing that you want to experience, but if God has to, at times, as we're walking through this life, humble us, it's one thing that he is not afraid, he is not afraid to do. Why? Because it will, it will change us, and it will make us more like him. So Peter's calling elders, lead, serve, shepherd in humility. Young people in the room, he says, walk, walk in humility with the people around you. And then he says, all of you, and this is some language we see in other books in the Bible, to clothe ourselves, to clothe yourself with humility, to put on humility. As Christ followers, Peter's saying, even in the midst of tough persecution, this is who we, this is who we should be. This is who we're called to be. We're ultimately all called to humble ourselves before a holy, holy God. You'll see this, this, this idea of humility all throughout Scripture. Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. When it's about you, what's coming next isn't going to be good. But with humility comes, comes wisdom. This virtue of humility is all throughout Scripture. And even though it's all throughout Scripture and we're instructed to have it, it's not something that we easily uh, have a part of our lives. Humility in our culture is not something that is often seen, right? Uh, in our culture, we are told to, to go make a life for yourself. Uh, watch out for yourself. Take care of yourself. Make your life go how you want it to go. Uh, don't let anybody else tell you, you know, or coach you or come alongside and give you advice. That humility, it goes against our, our sinful nature because humility puts the, focus, it puts the focus completely off of self, right? And it puts the focus back on a holy God. It puts us in right standing where we should be beneath a holy God. And we walk in humility. Humility puts God in, at number one. And it puts us at, at number two. Humility is walking through this life as we just did through song and through bringing in new members. And now we're doing through teaching God's word. It's lifting him up. Not walking through life, lifting, lifting ourselves up. 
C.S. Lewis says it this way. It'll be up on the screen. It's a great quote. It says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Is that a great quote? I mean, something, man, if we could grab a hold of that as Christ followers, uh, the church would be so attractive. If humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking about yourself less. It's not walking around with false humility either. You ever met that kind of a person? They just kind of talk themselves down, maybe belittle themselves, always walk around like they're so humble and inside you know there's nothing about them that's humble. Uh, That's false humility. Peter says don't go down that route either. But walk in humility with the people around you and walk in humility through this life knowing who you are before a holy, holy God. Church, this goes against our sinful nature. This goes against everything in us. Because we journey through this life often thinking about ourself, right? I mean, all day long. It's what's next for me, what's coming up for me, how am I going to handle this next thing, you know? And it's all about self. But we serve a God, and Peter is telling us through this letter, we need to humble ourselves before God. My question we could ask today is why? Why is humility so important on this Christian journey? Why is humility so important to, to, why is it so important to clothe ourselves with humility as as we walk this, this, this journey of faith? In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And here's the reason why it's so important in the Christian faith. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Why is it so important to pursue? Why is it so important to strive, to clothe ourselves with humility? Because God opposes. He's in direct opposition of pride. He's in direct opposition of me, myself, and I. And Peter's letting these persecuted Christians know, hey, every leader you're watching right now, from the Roman leadership to Emperor Nero, don't be like them. They are welled up with pride. They are full of pride. They are living for self. Be careful that you don't fall into that trap. Be careful because God opposes, he opposes the proud. James 4.6 says it this way, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace. We serve a God that is in direct opposition. I don't know about you. But I don't want any area in my life to be in direct opposition of God. I'm sure most of you in this room would say, I don't want any area in my life to be in direct opposition of a holy, holy God. And pride can do that. Pride can hurt relationships. Pride can hurt your relationship with each other. Pride can hurt your relationship with a holy, with a holy God. And we serve a God that opposes that opposes pride. We have things in our life that we oppose, right? Uh, wives in the room, how many of you, your husband, ever had a really, really bright, great idea? He brought you the idea. You realize this is not a great or bright idea, and you were in direct opposition of his great and bright idea. Any ladies raise their hand on that? Yeah. You, I mean, you, we've all, we, can, we oppose things. We oppose, we oppose dishonesty. We oppose when leadership begins to abuse leadership of people that are not in a leadership role. We oppose anything and everything that could ever happen to a kid that could harm them or, or, or hurt them. Uh, we oppose injustice. To, to oppose mean, means that we are, we are to stand against it. We are standing against something. 
And we serve a God that when it comes to pride, when it comes to arrogance, when it comes to, to living a life that's all about ourselves, it says in this passage and many others that God, God opposes, opposes it. He stands against it. It's dangerous. Pride is dangerous. It hurts people. It breaks down. It destroys so much. And what pride can do is it can begin to isolate us. It can begin to isolate us and put us out on our own little island where it's just kind of all about us. And the world revolves around, around us. How many of you like to be around people that just talk about themselves all the time? And uh, they let you know how great their life is and all the, all the things that are going on. Here's what pride can do. Pride can ruin teams. Pride can ruin marriages. Uh, can ruin parent-child relationships. Pride has ruined churches. Uh, pride's ruined church boards. Uh, pride has ruined workplaces. We could go on and on and on. And you could give real-life examples of where you've witnessed pride destroy. And it's why it is such a big deal. Here's what pride will do. Pride is something or someone that never admits that they're wrong. Uh, pride would be someone that can never say sorry. Uh, pride would be someone that uh, has a hard time forgiving. Uh, pride could also be someone that uh, they do a great job at keeping a record of wrong. And they have this little bag of artillery of all the wrongs the other person did. And when the war begins, they pull out their artillery and start shooting, right? That's where pride will lead to. It will lead us to a place where we can make everything about us. Do we see a church how easily uh, this can come about in our lives? And how easily this is woven into the fabric of our culture of our culture today. We serve a God that knows it because he created us. And he says to guard against, guard against being full of pride. The other thing that pride can do is not only hurt our relationships with others, but it can definitely hurt our relationship with God. As you read through Scripture and see all of the, the truths that we are to live and abide by, uh, think of just you know Exodus, Exodus 20, what's the, one of the top commandments, to have no other gods before me, right? Uh, we read again in Matthew 16, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That means life's not about me. Matthew 5.44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These are just a few that go in direct uh, contradiction of, of, of us living a life full of pride. Because the Bible has to say something else about it. That Jesus came to earth, he lived a sinless life, he went to the cross for you and me, he, he went to the grave, and three days later he rose again to give, us, to give us life, to give us freedom. Not to live lives that are about, that are about ourselves. Think about it this way. Pride, pride is the one thing, and maybe it was, this is a part of your testimony, or maybe this is a part of one of your friends or family members' testimonies right now. Pride is the thing that is kept or is continuing to keep so many people away from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Pride will. I don't need a God. Yeah, I know that he went to the cross. He died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again. Do I need that? Nah. Life's fine for me. That pride can get in the way. Pride can destroy. Pride can ruin. And God opposes the proud. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9 he doesn't want anyone to perish, he says, but everyone to come to repentance. We don't serve a God that's mean. 
that's full of hatred because he opposes the proud. But we serve a God, rather, that has given us instruction, that has given us truth, that, is, that has given us maybe some guardrails, if you will, for us to live a life in Christ, not a life about ourself. Verse 6, he goes on, and he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. There's a promise here that when we humble ourselves before a holy God, that in due time, we don't always know when, that he will, that he will lift us up. It's a promise that we, when we are in Christ, that we, we walk in humility, that he, will, that he will lift us up. What would be the opposite of that? When we walk through this life uh, being just, just full of pride, and God's not lifting us up, he's not the one carrying us. We're just doing it on our own. We hit the rough patch. We get the bad news. We get the bad report. In that moment, who's carrying you? If it's not, if it's not Christ, uh, who's the one that's lifting you up when you had the bad day or the bad week, right? Is it something else that you run to? Another thing that's the quick fix instead of our God in heaven. Who is the one that's lifting, that's lifting you up? Is it God? Because the only other option would be, would be you. And let me tell you, you can only do that for so long. As you hit rough patches in life, trials, hardship, uh, the fiery ordeal, as Peter said in chapter 4, uh, you will wear yourself out. It'll be emotional. It'll be tiring. It'll be exhausting when you walk through this life thinking, I am the one that's going to lift myself up through it. And we just continue to juggle life. We juggle our spouse and our and our work and kids and 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 bills and the house to manage and church and relationships and so much. And when anything else gets thrown into that stuff that we're juggling, we can just drop it all so easily. Why? Because pride will say, I can lift myself up. I can carry myself through through this. And what happens is it actually all becomes comes crashing down, and it leads us to becoming anxious and depleted, stressed out, burned out, tired. Why? Because we've yet to give it over to God. Does that, like, sum up our culture today? Tired, stressed out, exhausted, depleted, and then I love what Peter does. The very, he, he, he brings this idea of, of humility and pride, and then he talks about us and our cares and our worries. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So right after he talks about humility and pride, he uses this correlation between worry and anxiousness. What's Peter telling these believers? He's saying, bring your worries. Bring your trials. Bring the things that you continue to think about and stress about, your daily struggles, and hand them over to God. Why? Because he, because he cares for you. That we're not called to submit our lives uh, to the circumstances and worry, but we're called to submit our lives to the one that controls those circumstances. That's our God in heaven. Some of you are probably hearing this today and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And you would say, well, if it was that easy, I would have done that already. And let me make a couple statements quick. Is I am not anti-doctor. I'm not anti-therapy. 
I'm not anti-medicine. Uh, we live in a world where mental health is a big, big deal. And there's times when things chemically are going on that just are not going to be taken care of unless you go those routes. So I am all, I'm all for that. And I would encourage you today, if you're in this room and you're at that place where, man, anxiety is not just a little bit, looks like over the top, I would encourage you to seek help. And I would encourage you to come and ask us, and I can refer you to counselors, professional counselors all over this community uh, that are Christ followers and are specialists in specific areas. Uh, because we serve a God that cares about your whole being, all of you, and your mental health just as much. Peter says, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I don't think Peter's talking about the, 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 the anxiety that I just mentioned, but rather he's talking about anxiety that comes on when we try to pretend that we're God and that we're going to be the one to carry the burden on our own. And Peter says, man, you need to give that over to God. Because he cares for you. And if you don't, it's a recipe for anxiety to set in. I was reading a stat this week just to show that it's a big deal in our, in our country today. Uh, that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S. affecting 40 million adults in the United States eight, age 18 and older. Uh, bring on all the ones that are under 18. It would be a whole lot more. 18.1% of our population. Anxiety disorders develop from a complex set of risk factors, including genetics, brain chemistry, personality, and life events. There's times you just can't help, and you need to, to be able to go find the help that you need. Another stat said that 44% of Americans said they were stressed out in a major way in the past three years. I would say that feels like it's incredibly low, right? Uh, how many of you would say, you don't have to raise your hand, that you were stressed out in a major way at least once, in the last three years, probably like 90 to 100% of us, right? Or maybe last week, or maybe this weekend, you've been stressed out majorly. I don't know. But mental health is, is, is a big deal. And it's something that we want to always be a church that comes alongside people, uh, not isolate people. And it needs to be something that's talked about, not this taboo subject that's just out there and we just kind of pretend it's not. Peter goes on and he reminds them, as we're going to close this out, at the same time that you're casting all your cares upon God, you need to be on guard. He says, be alert and a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Be alert as a soldier. Look out. Be on watch, right? See what the enemy's doing in your life, in your spouse's life, in your kid's life, in your family's life. Man, watch it. Know it. Be able to talk about it. Don't let your enemy get a foothold. And we need to be alert. Why? Because the enemy knows the easiest way ever to lure you in. And he has a tailor-made luring process for each one of us. And he can grab us in a minute. And our minds can drift. Our hearts can drift. And we can then act upon something that is not of God. So Peter says, be alert. Be on, be on guard. Uh, be careful with, with Satan's schemes and his tricks. He doesn't have any new ones. He usually just keeps recycling the same one over and over and over again on the same people over and over and over again. Church, as we close out and get ready for communion, it's not a one-time cast all your cares upon him. Uh, there's no, I checked it off, I cast, it's, it's a daily casting our cares upon, upon God.
It's daily saying, God, I want to walk in humility. Would you rid me of pride, even if it's painful, so that I can be used for the kingdom of God? I can be used for your ways and for your timing. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He caps this chapter 5, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, you're suffering, I understand, what you're experiencing, Peter's reminding them it's momentary. The trial that even you're facing in this room today, as it seems like there's no end in sight in the grand scheme of things in all of eternity, it's momentary. Will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever? Amen. Maybe there's one, maybe there's multiple in here that have been carrying something for weeks, for months, maybe for years. And today's the day where you open your hands and you open your heart and you say, God, I'm going to cast this upon you. And I'm going to take you at your word that you actually do care for me. Doesn't seem like it. Certainly doesn't feel like it. But God, I'm going to take you at your word today. And if you're in here today and there's something you need to cast onto your God, uh, he's big enough to take it. And when you open your mouth and tell him what it is, he's not going to be like, I didn't know. He knows. He just wants you to be in agreement that you need to find wholeness and healing in that area. And you need to cast it upon him. We serve a God that has a mighty hand, Peter said, in this particular chapter. And if we will humble ourselves under his mighty hand, there's a promise that comes with that, that he will, he will lift us up. What, that's a great promise. As we prepare for communion, I want to read this passage to you. And let your hearts uh, head towards the cross. Let your mind head towards the things of the cross and what Jesus did for you. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearances as a man. Listen to what Jesus did. He's not calling us to do anything he didn't already do. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.